Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. They're longtime friends. Let me tell you something real quick about dibs that I'm sure not everybody knows. <laughs> and first-time partners. Hang in there, big guy. There'll be bright days ahead. Now these two homegrown Bay Area boys finally come together to take over sports talk. Get the hell off of my doorstep. Major League Baseball, you steam. It's Willard and Dibs <laughs> on 95.7 The Game. Not today it isn't. Hi again, everybody. In for Willard and Dibs. Alongside Larry Kruger, it's Dan Devone. Larry literally, and I mean literally, just ran through the door, parked the rig, ran upstairs, sat down, threw on the headset. Why? Because he was at Santa Clara covering the Niners like nobody else. Larry, what's going on? And first of all, what's the latest out there? Devone, good to see you. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. Um, by the way, um, not only did I run over from the parking garage, but r- as I'm crossing the street, in the middle of the street, which I know they call jaywalking, um, there's a cop standing right there. I mean, literally right across the street from the station, standing right there. And I'm like, no, come on. It's 2024, or it's almost 2024. He's not He's not going to bust me for jaywalking. But I was in a rush. I didn't have enough time to wait for the light. I had to walk down and make... So I'm looking at him. He's looking at me. So I, I walk across the street. The guy on the other side of the street, there's somebody standing right in front of the uh, right in front of the building with a backpack, and he's smoking a cigarette. As I get close to him, he's looking right at me. He's looking right at me. And as I get almost to the sidewalk, he goes, Larry Kruger. I said, yes, Larry Kruger. And he's like, man, hey, man, I love your show. Can we take a selfie? And then I realized he's smoking a J. He's smoking a J. So somewhere I took a picture right in front of the, well, right in front of the, uh, uh, our, our entrance here with a young man smoking a J saying how much he loved 95-7 the game. Well, I would think smoking a J these days is a little bit more accepted than, say, maybe five, ten years ago. It's, it's part of the, uh, the fabric that is San Francisco. And, well, did you... You obviously did not get ticketed. I did not get ticketed, nor did he. It's a, it's a, you know, it's a great day in in San Francisco, uh, downtown history. I've not only gotten ticket. I've been twice: once in Vegas, once in Hawaii for jaywalking. For jaywalking. Oh my god! And then my third public humiliation was, uh, well, public urination. But let's not even go down that road to kick things off. Come on, what great. are we doing here? Larry? Oh, here we go. All right, so let's, seriously, let's it was a- felony trespassing, and uh, <laughs> you know I was locked up for a while, but I got a good attorney, and uh, yeah, okay. the forty nine. We forgive you, Devon. We thank forgive you so you. much. And by the way, this street that you're crossing, it's like major thoroughfare for those that I did. I did wait. Kearney street. Yeah, I did wait for the uh, the cars to go by on Kearney Street, so I wouldn't get hit. You know, I don't want to get hit, but uh, I, I couldn't go to the corner. I had to jaywalk right in the middle of the street. But what the heck? They're not arresting anybody for anything these days. So you just that's true. you just <laughs> do whatever you just want. Just do what man. you got to do. It's mayhem out right. there. It's it's road. It's every man for himself. <laughs> every man for himself. This is San Francisco of all places. All right, let's get into the San Francisco 49ers. Yeah. Literally, in all seriousness, you just came back from Santa Clara. Update yes. us. What's going on? Well, Brock Purdy spoke today, and so did Chris Forster, Steve Wilkes, and then they opened up the locker room. I went in there, had a chance to talk to a couple of the old linemen, Ben Barch, Colton McKibben. Uh, a couple of the defensive players. You know, I mean, the 49ers, uh, Brock owned it. You know, he's like, hey, look, it was a bad game. Uh, he felt like they had a good plan. Um, he never really seemed rattled, but he definitely didn't, you know, he said it was glad that it happened 
in a game that didn't cost them the whole season. When I say it, I mean where he had four turnovers and and um, and yet if you look closely at that game, you know you could see that the Niners had two hundred and thirty yards of offense in the first half, um, and and outside of the you know the three turnovers. Um, they were doing whatever they wanted offensively and defensively. Then the third quarter happened, and it was just an absolute disaster. Um, and uh, But the Niners could have had 500 total yards against the number one defense in the league. And if you take away those, you know, take away the turnovers, you'd be sitting there going, wow, this 49er offense kind of lit up this Ravens number one defense. So, you know what I mean? It's like we're, we're all about the result. And we should be, because that's what really matters is the result. They lost the game. They turned it over five times. They had a hundred plus yards of penalties. But if you, you know, get beyond the, you know, the game plan's trash, Kyle's gotta go, Brock's not the guy, and all the knee-jerk kind of idiocy that you hear in the twenty-four hours after an emotional loss, and you get down to the tape and you roll that thing back and forth, you realize the Niners did a lot of good things offensively. They ran it at will. They ran for over seven yards of carry. They had they they were on their way to five hundred yards of offense against a really good D. Um, but the you got to credit McDonald, I think the the Ravens' defensive coordinator for understanding, watching the film, and understanding that the Niners. Um, you know, do have a lot of condensed formations, and so that lets the corners have a better chance to actually get to the quarterback from a corner blitz. They're not way out wide on some plays, and that's what happened in this game. They they blitzed a couple corners off the edges. They created some pressure. They sped up Brock. Uh, Stevens made an amazing play to bat that one down, and Humphrey caught it. So, uh, and then they flooded the areas where they thought Brock was going to throw to with bodies. They dropped Hamilton deep, read the quarterback's eyes, and made plays on the ball. So now can the Niners adjust is the question. When you talk about adjusting, and if the two teams were to meet again, I get the sense that there was such finality following that game that I had to remind myself this wasn't the end of the season. This wasn't the playoffs. You had that sort of, the air went out of the room that, Oh wow! You know, typically when you lose this late, and you lose that convincingly, it's usually the end of the season. Right. But I think the way they lost might be, constructively speaking, here the best thing that could happen to the 49ers, because now you have the wake-up call, and I think the 49ers, if you're going to buy into this, they got punched in the mouth, and they they can't play against teams out of the AFC North, that being Cleveland, and obviously what Baltimore did to them. You can, you know, I don't know that I can hang my hat on that because I don't know really what that means at the end of the day. I think they got a little physical with the wide receivers, so the, you know, Baltimore wasn't letting the wideouts get to their spots. There's a lot of things we can break down, but I think a rematch, just to get ahead of myself, if they're to see themselves, if they're to meet Baltimore again in the Super Bowl, that was the wake up call. And let's listen, Baltimore doesn't dominate everybody, the Rams took that team in overtime. Yeah, right? if it wasn't for a return uh, at the very in, in overtime, the Rams could have beaten the Ravens, and that game was in Baltimore. Exactly, and so this idea that they're you know light years behind the Baltimore Ravens, we all need to check ourselves. I do want to start with the interceptions on a couple of levels. First of all, I think like there's way too much emphasis statistically when people pick up a stat sheet and see oh three four interceptions. Listen, you have to break down interceptions individually because the five picks don't sound, you know, that's that's not very that's not very appealing for any any quarterback and one of those is on Sam Darnold, but Sam Darnold's a perfect example. Yes, it's an interception, but it's fourth and goal. It's desperation time. He's got to throw it into a crowd. That's a pick and you can hang that on Sam Darnold. But the point being is that I I don't think it's a reflection on Brock Purdy uh, forget about the MVP talk. I don't even buy into that sort of nonsense. But it's not a referendum on that this guy is not the quarterback we thought he could be. He is still the best quarterback that Kyle Shanahan has had in his tenure, in his seven years with the San Francisco 49ers. And if you want to win that Super Bowl, he's still the guy that is obviously 
perfectly suited to get the job done. Just talk about his performance and sort of where we're at and sort of, you know, the overall perception, and I'm talking coast to coast, that a lot of people were waiting for this, including Micah Parsons that is shooting some verbal darts. Like everybody's sort of this, I told you so. Well, I mean, you know, it is what it is, right? So first of all, you got to just accept it. You had four picks. The game's over. You, nothing's going to change that. But to me, it was more like a two-pick day. It was two picks and two bad bounces. If, if, if the ball bounces in a different direction, it's an incompletion. Now, you could have made an argument that Brock could have thrown five picks instead of four because he did have yeah. one, one ball that could have been caught by the Ravens. But um, I look at it as, you know, a Raven defense, or first of all, a Ravens team that has a lot of really good players in the middle of the field. You've got Roquan Smith and Patrick Queen, fantastic linebacker duo. They cover a ton of space. Um, and then they understood what the Niners did, so they didn't blitz off the middle because then you give Brock a hot read in the middle of the field. So they kind of understood that Brock likes to throw the ball in the middle of the field and don't give him a defined read by blitzing him in the middle of the field and letting him throw it right behind you. So they blitzed off the edges, and they dropped their linebackers deeper, and they had Hamilton with a very deep drop, and he was just reading the quarterback's eyes. And they just they they have a lot of good players in the middle of the field. Uh, Stone from Iowa is a great ball hawk. Hamilton is one of the great young players in the league. Blue chipper out of Notre Dame, which has been phenomenal. Is he a nickelback? Is he a corner? Is he a safety? Is he a linebacker? I mean, in reality, he's anything he wants to be. Six four, two twenty, great speed. And they just have a lot of good personnel in the middle of the field. And they had a great plan. And they watched the film. And they and they read Brock's tendencies. And they tried to be in the windows that they anticipated that he would throw into but this idea that you know he's a spot thrower and they've now found the secret we're going to find out i think to me the way the ravens won this game um dan is going to really be interesting as far as the next game i think there's a lot more juice now in this commanders game and we can talk about it and it puts a lot of emphasis on this safety cameron curl of the commanders in that Brock's gonna, you know, is it a copycat league? Did the did the Ravens put something on film uh, by how they defended Brock that other teams are gonna copy? And do the Niners have a solution? Do they have the answers? That's really the big question going into this game. Kind of like the way Nick Bosa said, "Hey, man, when we rushed Hurts." We gave the Cowboys a template, and then the Cowboys did a really nice job the next week against Hertz, kind of rushing as one. We'll see if the Commanders or Rams uh, got something, gleaned something from that Raven tape that they can repeat, and we'll see if it continues to bother Purdy. But don't you think that the back four, I always start with up front, and if you, you speed up any quarterback, that's obviously going to benefit your, your safeties and your, and your corners. The question then becomes, to me, I'm a big, you know, as Keith Jackson used to say, the big uglies up front. That, that, the trenches will, will tell you everything you need to know. It's not so much the blitzing off the edges, but the fact that Baltimore was getting home with their base four. What's your level of concern with the O-line going forward? I mean, huge, because, um, you know, Chris Forster told us an hour and a half ago something that we already knew, which was that Spencer Burford really struggled mightily at right tackle. Now, why? You know, he hasn't played there a lot. Uh, does he have the, you know, the foot quickness to deal with speed off the edge? I mean, these are all kinds of like questions. We don't know the state. We don't know who's going to be where. Uh, Trent has got a groin injury. Is he going to go or not? Um, you know, I don't know that we have definitive answers on who's going to wind up going in this game and who's going to who's going to not go. But um, to me, that's a big one. Is Jalen Moore going to play? Tackle if if Trent can't go, and if not, I mean they're going to have to get creative on their. I mean, they made some moves. They brought they re-signed Matt Pryor. Um, you know, Barch played left guard in this game. If Banks can't go, does Barch play left guard? I think the only thing that's for sure is that Jake Brendel's going to play center against the Commanders. Everything else is very much up in the air, and that's a scary proposition yes. for anybody. I guess especially against Deron Payne and Jonathan Allen and um, you know, two one of the better tackle tandems in the game. So yeah, I mean that's that's gonna be the big question going into Sunday is 
what is the 49ers offensive line alignment left to right and then who's up who are the backups and then who plays where if they have an injury in that game I mean this is going to be an all hands on deck kind of a game you know earlier in the week I was doing a show with Lucas and my sort of knee-jerk reaction was I felt Kyle Shanahan just got away from from a running game which I thought that it might be something that'd be sort of you know his go-to, at least early on in this game. Although they did move the football, but uh, was, did, did you was there a sense that this is one of those big games that, that Kyle Shanahan sort of overthought? Like There's a tendency when you get into a Christmas Day game and the whole world's watching that you come up with a wrinkle. And the fact that he, he didn't take the ball out of Purdy's hands, even when Purdy was getting sped up, and even with McCaffrey gashing on the few times he carried the ball early on in the contest, that dominating clock running the football could have changed the entire complexion of that contest. Well, I mean, it's a, I and I asked Kyle this question yesterday. I said, "Hey, you know, Kyle, you you're going up against a team in the Ravens who were dead last in the NFL in like four different categories at defending." Um, running, you know, the two running back sets, 21, per, not to get too esoteric, but 21 personnel, 22 personnel with the fullback on the field. The Ravens were dead last in like four categories, and they were like fourth worst in a fourth category. That was their weakness on paper. And then you look at the beginning of that game, they had they had a two-to-one pass-run ratio. They had 10 passes and five runs in the first quarter. And he kind of explained it and just said, well, you know, we did this, and, we, and then we did that, and then we ran this play, we ran that play. But it didn't really address the overarching question, which is you had a major advantage running the ball. You finished the game averaging over seven yards a carry, I believe, for for, for CMC, and a close to seven yards a carry as a team, and you didn't run the ball nearly as much as you could. You had 14 carries for McCaffrey. He's had as many as 22 in a game this year. I would have liked to have seen him have seven or eight more carries. Would have liked to have seen Debo have four or five more carries. Would have liked to have seen Jordan Mason run the ball. Would have liked to have seen, especially after the first pick, I would have liked to have seen them have a run-dominant um, ski, you know, plan instead of offensive balance. He's always trying to achieve offensive balance. So I did ask him that, um, and he didn't necessarily give me a straight, straight, direct answer. He kind of explained how they arrived at 10 passes and five runs in the first quarter, but that didn't really answer the question. Your advantage was that you could run it at them. You ran it at them with success, and yet you only had 14 runs for a guy who could be the MVP. He had no concern with balance back in 2019 in that playoff run when he had no confidence in Jimmy Garoppolo in that NFC Championship game against the Packers, which I think he threw it some nine times and just said, after this first three passes, like, I'm just taking the keys out of your hands. We're going to run the football because I'm sure as hell not letting you lose this thing. I think it's interesting that when you hear Kyle Shanahan, to your point in the postgame, he still has confidence in his quarterback. While everybody else is saying he got rattled, and we've seen him before when he's talked about Jimmy Garoppolo, that there isn't the same sort of sense of, I've still got this guy's back, and I still have not seen enough for me to change our offensive philosophy. I think listening to Kyle Shanahan's post-game comments about his quarterback, where he continues to defend him, and I think he can be a little bit more... He's, he's, he's more contrite if he feels as though... You know, we need to go in another direction in terms of not making him uh, throw the footballs frequently or I put him in bad positions. Those were bad. He, he let you know that the first pass was, was pretty much ill-advised. But everything else he defended, which tells me that he still believes that Brock Purdy is, is his guy and one of, the, one of the premier quarterbacks, not only that he's had, but I think in the NFL. I think his post-game comments concerning the quarterback uh, tells a lot as far as Kyle Shanahan still has a high level of confidence in the young guy. Oh, I mean, and he should. I mean, let's look at what Brock Purdy's numbers looked like going into that Raven game. In the six, the Niners had won six in a row. He had a one thirty eight point one passer rating. He had thrown seventeen touchdowns and two picks, and his yards per attempt was eleven point zero. Those are gaudy, fat, dominating numbers. 
I mean, during the six-game winning streak, he had a passer rating of 130, of at least 130 in the the six games. So that would be tied for the highest passer rating ever in a season. Um, So, I mean, there's reason that he has confidence in Brock Purdy. Brock Purdy's had a really good year and put up really good numbers. But all I would say to counter that would be like, okay, but this Ravens defense did have does have really good football players in the middle of the field. You already have thrown an interception. You have the best running back in all of football. And they have a good front that can get after the quarterback. And they've already shown you some creative blitzes. You may want to maybe have a run dominant game. Um, you know, and, and this is something that Shanahan has been criticized for in the past. He did he run it enough in the Super Bowl as the OC when they blew the twenty eight three lead uh, to the Patriots? Probably not. But you know, the other the and then the other issue is your line is a run blocking unit versus a pass blocking unit. So you know, maybe he feels um, like he was one to achieve balance. The other thing in his defense is that the Niners did break off a bunch of big pass plays. I mean, yeah, they turned it over, but it wasn't like they couldn't throw the ball. They were throwing the ball and having success and making some plays. So he probably just didn't see it as a as a, a game where they needed to take the air out of the ball and, and run it and run it and run it some more. But in hindsight, it really looked like, man, the Ravens had a lot of bodies in the windows. They did a great job. They watched the film. They knew Brock's tendencies. They knew kind of where he was going to throw to, and they crowded those spots with lots of bodies. And even Brock said it after the game. He said, hey, you know what? Looking back at this game, the windows were really tight. So, yeah, the windows that he wanted to throw in that normally are wide open in this game were tighter, and ultimately it resulted in and then the bad bounce of a couple footballs, and suddenly you've got four picks. And I know one of the picks that people go after him is the one where he threw across his body, which is ill-advised. The third, anybody, the third one. The third one, which is, I mean, anybody will tell you growing up at the high school, even before high school, that you never want to roll right and throw back left for a right-handed quarterback. You never want to throw across your body to the middle of the field. That's true, but would you not, would you not admit or at least recognize that that's happening with a more high level uh, it's it's happening more frequently than ever before in the NFL. I don't know if that's attributed to Patrick Mahomes. Uh, Lamar Jackson did that very thing rolling to his left and he threw back right and I think he hit lively on a play in that first half. I'm I'm not it was ill-advised, but if you're a playmaker I think that you're seeing a lot more of that and a lot more of it being accepted. I know, generally speaking, you're not supposed to do that as a quarterback, right? That's quarterback 101. But you're seeing a lot more of it, and you're also seeing coaches, again, I'm not in the locker room, but it seems to be more of a, a sense of acceptability than ever before. Yeah, I mean, make a, he's thinking make on that play to Kittle. He's thinking make a play, make a play, make a play. The question was, did he see the flags on the ground? Well, that's a whole other story. And he did. He said he admitted that he saw those flags, but he doesn't know if those flags are for defensive holds or if they're for offensive holding or if it's on his team or if it's on the Raven team. So he's thinking, make a play, make a play, make a play. In hindsight. Once those flags are on the field, you probably should have thought about throw it into the turf, right? Um, if you knew that the flags were on your team, you would have done that. But if you think you got a free play, now you're wanting to take a chance. So I don't think he had a sense of uh, what those flags were on. He did see them. Um, but anytime you're late in the middle of the field oh, while you're moving at an angle, somebody could be reading your eyes. Uh, the Ravens also have really good football players in the middle of the field. I mean, on all levels. They're good inside and up front. They're good inside on that second level. They're great in front on that second level. And they're dominating inside on the third level. So, um, you know, it, I just don't like, to me, interceptions, you said it early, they have to be evaluated, each one. If you just don't have an account of the defenders and or you're just throwing into a crowd late in the middle of the field, those are bad. But on tip balls that get tipped, that could go tipped into the ground, but then instead they get tipped up into the air and the def- defense picks it off. I mean, it's a bad break, but the, it's like these interceptions can be evaluated independently. Oh, I would agree entirely. And I think when you do that, you, you recognize that Brock Purdy is, is still an exceptional quarterback and didn't have that bad of a game, as ridiculous as that might sound. 
I guess the point is, and I'll move off of this, is that it's in a weird way. Is, you know, you want your cake and eat it too when it comes to not you specifically, but when it comes to Kyle Shanahan's guilty of this that he's a risk taker. And there's some of these oh no throws as he threw. He's thrown touchdown passes that. Kyle Shanahan's like, oh my God, we're going with that football, and he's he's had credit. People have given him credit for the fact that he's he's fitted into tight windows or made those quote unquote ill advised throws. But he's got a little Brett Favre swagger to him. So when he throws that pick, I mean, it's we sort of created that monster to a certain degree. But just getting back to Brock Purdy, and just before we get to the break, you know, we could talk about uh, his throwing percentage and all the numbers that you laid out that are still MVP esque. But don't you think he has to win one of these ugly games, a rock fight, where you get punched in the face, you throw a couple of picks, but still make a play to win a game? Whether it's coming from behind, the game, the 49ers have a tendency to be front runners. I think what you need to see from Brock Purdy, forget about the stats, forget about all that crap, forget about being up by two touchdowns. When you're an ugly game against one of those teams that wants to punch you in the mouth, do you have what it takes when you're sped up and having to throw from different levels, can you still be effective? I think is where he's at. I don't know if he's crossed that threshold yet. I think you can make the same argument about Shanahan. I mean, look at Shanahan's record when he trails by three in the fourth quarter. But you're right. I mean, would we be saying this if Jake Moody made the 41-yard field goal in Cleveland? Or if Shanahan ran one more play in the 41-yarder, wasn't a 41-yarder, but more like a 28-yarder, and he nails it? Would we be saying the same thing, or would we be saying, oh, well, no, we did lead him from behind in that disastrous day on the road when it rained in Cleveland and everything went wrong and they lost Trent and Debo and Ayuk or uh, uh, Debo and uh, McCaffrey in that game? You know, that was an opportunity, but I think the bigger. You know, I think I think he does have to. I mean, to answer your question directly, yeah, I think you have to win um, a messy game. You got to win a game where there's lots of adversity. And the 49ers, I think, as a team, have to kind of show that they can win that that game that just doesn't go right. Things don't go well, and it's close, and it's nip and tuck to the end, and they pull it out. They haven't typically done that under Shanahan. All right, we go to the break. We're going to throw this out there. New Year's resolutions for each of the local teams. What do you have for the Giants? What do you have for the 49ers and the Golden State Warriors? We'll also continue with Niner Talk as they get ready for the Washington Commanders. Still have a hard time with that team. All right, all that and much more. Dan Avone and Larry Kruger will roll along right after this. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Now, back to Willard and Dibs on 95.7 The Game. Larry Kruger alongside Dan Devone. We come in. Was I supposed to read something there, Graham? I can, I can always do it going out, right? You can just tell people that uh, we're live on YouTube right now if they want to come and watch the show as well. Thank you. YouTube.com slash 957thegame. Boom, she flies. There we go. Thank you very much. All right, brought to you by Mark Granny, a fabulous producer. But yeah, catch us on YouTube or certainly listen to us here on 957 The Game. Larry Kruger and Dan Avon. Let's switch things to the Golden State Warriors coming up tonight. 
Don't forget, we got you covered as the Warriors take on the Miami Heat, the Golden State Warriors' five-game winning streak coming to an end on Christmas Day in that contest against the Denver Nuggets, a game in which Steve Kerr emotionally, abruptly, left the press conference after he witnessed the Joker, Nikola Jokovic, going to the line some 18 times. And that's a good place to start. You know, I was thinking about this when I knew I was doing the show with you, because I think you might be able to sink your teeth into this. I talked to the coach last night, and maybe we can bring up some of the the sound pops from yesterday. Just generally speaking, (laughs) thank you. I I told the coach, and actually it was funny, because Matt Nahagian, our, our boss here, he said, man, you... You went a little heavy on the on the refereeing stuff, didn't you? I was, I was like, yeah, because I, I think it's I think there's a level of importance there. And not only has it relegated to the Golden State Warriors, but just as a product. Because I know exactly what Steve Kerr is saying and was referring to when he's like, I, I wouldn't watch that second half before he got up and left that press conference. You know, Larry, when I watch NBA these days, I have a hard time, man. It is so overreft. And it is so fractured and segmented. And the referees that disrupt play and the fluidity of what, what is, I think, the best athletes in professional sports go on the full 94 feet. But the fact that you have so much stoppage and the referees have such a, a big, are such a big component of all of this. And what kills me the most is when you hear, oh, well, they let them play in the fourth quarter. Especially when it gets to the NBA Finals. Well, they'll let them play a little bit more now it's the playoffs. Why the hell don't you let them play the entire contest? I don't know where you're at with that, well, but I, I, I just, do think Steve Kerr touched on something that is it's not only relegated to the Warriors and, and the calls that went Jokic's way, but I just think when you're talking about the product that is the NBA and entertainment specifically, it's hard to watch at times. I, I don't like a disjointed game where the where the you know the officials are killing any and all flow with just call after call after call. But the league has made a conscious decision. They want to reward um, skill over any kind of physicality, and I think that's a positive. But. Flow is a big part of basketball, man, and it's a big part of enjoying watching basketball. So I, I think flow is a major part of the game, and I'm with you. I, I'd rather see them err on the side of of uh, you know fewer calls and fewer whistles. I'll tell you though, what bothers me more is that okay, the NFL is the most popular sport in America. And if you don't believe that, look at the Christmas ratings. That was ridiculous. They just absolutely destroyed the the NBA. And we all, we know why cuz football's football and NBA and an NBA regular season game is not of the same importance as an NFL game because there's only uh you know 17 games now in the season as opposed to 82. So you knew the NFL was going to kick butt TV ratings wise on Christmas. But the one thing I don't like is I don't like the whole, you know, um, we, like the big announcement before every playoff game is who's going to be refing tonight. And they've got their own tendencies and their stats connected to the refs. I want to watch a game between two teams. I don't want to watch a game between three teams. And I don't want to, to me, the NBA ref has way too much, uh, there's way too much knowledge about about their tendencies and, you know, this guy calls it this way and that guy calls it that way. You know, I, I'm i like this with baseball too, you know, I mean, it's nice when you listen to like Kruk and Kipe on the TV side, give you the breakdown of the umpires, but at the end of the day, it's like, I, you know, this is my interpretation of the zone. Stop. To call a strike a strike. I want them all to be more uniform. I want to to me the best games, whether it be baseball, football, basketball, when you don't when you walk into the game anticipating the play of the players and you walk out of the game talking about the players. If you're walking in or out talking about the umpire, the refs in basketball, the officials in football, they haven't done their job. I'd well, rather see them just kind of not have tendencies and do it more the same. And you know, I, I don't, I don't want to know who's refing this game tonight, and I don't want those the revelation of those names to have any real impact on on the action. And yet, it seemingly has a huge impact. Well, here's the issue as it relates to the Golden State Warriors in the NBA: is how can you not? 
When you think about the intimacy of the game, so you got 10 players on the floor as opposed to NFL and Major League Baseball. I know there's conversations in those games, but in the NBA, during every timeout and free throw, there's a player talking to a ref. And they get to know that you forge relationships. Right. There's a di- there's an ongoing... If you're sitting courtside, you can actually hear the ongoing dialogue. And I, it, I, I think don't think it, that's a good thing. It compromises objectivity because it's human nature. I like this guy. Don't like this guy. And so as a referee, you're already compromised. And I think all that stuff... And I said this to Steve Kearney. Basically, you know, Dan, you've lost your mind here. But I was like, you know, I, I would like to see all of that removed. Just stop with the cut. Well, you don't need to talk to the referee. You don't. And, and what happens eventually is it gets to the point where you have a Scott Foster and a Chris Paul blowout where they just don't like each other. And typically you don't want Scott Foster refereeing those games. It should never get to that. It should, to your point, that they should be somebody that you're not even aware of and in the background. But. You become part, uh, they are such a large component in terms of dictating the outcome of basketball games right now. And I think something has to be done. And to a larger degree, it has a lot to do with the popularity of the sport. I think and you're all, anything's going to pale in comparison in terms of revenue for that of the, you know, the NFL. But I do think it goes a long way as far as, you know, jeopardizing what I think is a good sport because of the referees compromised objectivity because they have and the other thing is is well when you play a little bit longer referring to a rookie you'll get that call why a foul's a damn foul (laughs) I I, I really don't like that either I I hate there's like insider knowledge on all this stuff and like you've got to pay your dues I mean look at the NFL there's calls made all the time it's pretty rare that you hear, even in a live mic situation, an NFL player use the official's first name. In the NBA, it happens every night. Scott, hey, come on, Scott. Well, Steph, it's just, it's just ongoing, t- ongoing no, you dialogue. Know what's, what's, I hate to interrupt, but when the referee not only refers to players, but uses their nickname, KD, you got to watch yourself. I mean, because he doesn't know the rookie's nickname or their right. that whole crap of calling a guy like you know back in the day, Magic. You know, like come on, man, are you a fan or are you a referee? What the hell's going on here? Well, and I, I'll tell you that I, the other thing I don't like. I don't like what I've seen happen to Draymond, where his priors now get him like quicker whistles. And I know that's human nature, but ref each game independently, um, you know, and give everybody a clean slate at the beginning of every game. I mean, that's the way I would do it. I the other thing that bothers me, you call a time. Steve calls a timeout. Uh, you know, there's five guys on the court. Three head back to the bench. Two go to negotiate <laughs> with the official. You know, it's like enough of the negotiation during timeouts. Everybody go back to the bench. But they, they've the the NBA player is a star. They're the attraction, um, and they're gonna have a say. And I, I I don't see it changing. I really don't. I mean, you can hear you can hear by the way the NBA refs use the players' names and nicknames, as you said, regularly. That there's an, there's a relationship. There's like an ongoing dialogue, and and they'll give um, the stars of the league all kinds of room that they don't give other players. And then if you do have priors, uh, it seems like there's guys that are just so at their wits' end. With Draymond Green, you shouldn't be at your wit's end in the first quarter of a game. You should treat it like a new game. But your rep kind of precedes you. So I would like to see a little bit more a uh, little bit more personality from the players, a little less of the ref's personalities. One of the other subject matters that Steve Kerr had to address yesterday, and we talked about it last night, was Jonathan Kaminga and the recent comments in his conversation or his interview. Uh, with a writer from The Athletic, and he essentially, and I'm paraphrasing here, he was tired of going to the bench or didn't understand entirely why he wasn't getting more run and felt as though, at times, he wasn't being utilized properly. Uh, It it leads to a bigger point and sort of this where we're at and sort of the crossroads of this team with the youth, Jonathan Kaminga, obviously, uh, part of that movement, and uh, the, the Brandon Pajemski, Uh, Trace Jackson Davis, it's a good thing, but also I think that it's going to come to a head here pretty quickly, especially when Draymond comes back. What is it that Steve Kerr does? Because there's going to be an odd man out here. You've got Brandon Pajemski, who's starting, and deservedly so, and Jonathan Kaminga, who's been playing well with starter minutes. 
So it becomes a math problem now when you bring back Draymond Green, or does Draymond Green go back to the starting lineup, or did Draymond have a conversation where he's like, listen, let's just keep status quo. We're playing well. I'm just sort of curious when the rubber meets the road when you're talking about Draymond coming back from that suspension, whenever that might be. But, well, you know, this is getting a, this is a problem that's getting more and more difficult every day that goes by. Because every day that goes by, the made men in Steve's mind, the, the, the Stephs, the Draymonds, the Clays, if you want to throw Wiggins in there, get older, further away from their prime, and the young guys get more mature and closer to theirs. So, you know, that's, that's the problem. Or, or, you know, I don't even know if it's a problem, really, because it's just the nature of of the evolution of aging, right? I mean, the younger players are getting better and getting closer to their prime. The older players are, are getting further away from their prime. Uh, to me, if Mike Dunleavy walked in here, I would be very eager to talk to him about how he sees the trade deadline in his team. Because to me, if you said, how do you see it as somebody who's watched every game and is a lifelong Warrior fan, I would say keep Steph and keep the big three Young guys. In my mind, that's that's TJD, Pajemski, and Kuminga. So those are the four guys I don't want to see go anywhere. Steph Curry and the three young guys. Anybody else, it's all dependent on what are you getting, what are the offers? You know, what let's I'm open. I mean, if I was Mike Dunleavy, I would basically state that to every team in the league. I'm not moving Kuminga, I'm not moving Trace Jackson Davis, and I'm not moving Pajemski. And obviously, you don't need to ask, I'm not moving Steph. Anybody else on this team that you're interested in, make me an offer. And I would be I'd be all ears. Now that crosses a bridge that a lot of people are uncomfortable with. Clay Thompson, aren't they going to the finish line with Clay Thompson? He's a made man here. Okay. Maybe he is in some people's minds. Some people feel like Draymond's in that category. To Draymond's, you know, ridiculous slug of our head slap of Nurkic change anybody's um mind about Draymond's ability or the you know, the Warriors plan with Draymond? And then doesn't Steph Curry have to kind of sign off on moving a Draymond Green or a Clay Thompson? I, I would think that he would. Um, so I'm eager to see what what options are out there because I think the Warriors, it's really clear, they're either going to make no moves or they're going to make a huge move. Why? Because Paul makes 30 and Draymond makes 22 and Wiggins, I think, makes like 24. And if you group a couple of those guys together, you're talking about somebody coming back who makes 30 40 million dollars so you know you you move any of those guys really it's gonna it's gonna be a big major major earth rattling trade that makes the lines light up on this radio station for weeks to come right you move clay thompson and every line's gonna be lit (laughs) for the next month you move draymond green same thing maybe wiggins to a lesser degree but that's where dunleavy's got to sit he's got a 500 team I mean, what are the Warriors? They're 15 and 15. Um, They're a little bit better at home. They're a little worse on the road, but they're 500. They're not in the playoffs. Um, You know, something something major is going to have to give because you've got a lot of guys um, who are kind of in that similar deal. They either were great and now they're not as good or they're young and they're getting better. And so he's got a really tough, um, you know, who's in my rotation tonight question every single night. Let's hear from Coach Steve Kerr talking about Jonathan Kaminga last night. No, I wasn't really offended by the comments. You know, I, I think J.K. meant well. I, you know, I think it may have come come out maybe a little differently than he intended, but it's all good. I mean, we talk every day. He knows when I pull him aside and I show him film. I, I show him exactly what he needs to do to, to do better and, and to get more playing time. So um, the, uh, the comments are what they are. Not a big deal. You know, we, we just move forward. The, the biggest thing for me is, is J.K. just continuing to grow and develop and uh, he's doing a great job of that this year. I think he's made big strides. Most of the stuff is, is just kind of little detailed stuff that, frankly, unless you're watching tape of the game and picking it apart as a basketball nerd, may not recognize, but it's it's what we do as coaches, and, and those are the things that lead to winning and losing. So, you know, we're, we're showing him all this stuff and trying to help him get better, and, and he's working hard, and, and I think he's gotten much better this year. I'm really excited about his growth. See, I think, Larry, that if, if I've heard Pascal Siakam's name, 
just for the sake of this conversation, has been thrown around enough. I'm, what is it? Is it Bobby Webster now that's the GM out there? Kaminga's got to be part of this. Like, I know we don't want to move off of Kaminga, but if you want to get value, you got to give up value. And I think GMs, they know you're selling them a bill of goods if Kaminga's not part of that. So the question then becomes, can you move off on Kaminga? Because I, I don't know. You might be right, but I don't know if I'm... If I want value in return, if you're talking about a player that's going to help me win right now and matching windows with Steph Curry, uh, Kaminga's got to be, he's got to be part of that. And Because GMs are aware of just what it is that you laid out. I mean, it's not as though they they can't recognize or turn on cable and see that you know Clay hasn't been consistent this year and that Wiggins, who the hell knows where he is, and Draymond's Draymond. But the one guy I think that, and especially because he's gotten so much run, and maybe has, you know, because they put him out there, that there is a sense of, well, okay, now you have a commodity, along with Chris Paul, because, you know, the contracts will match here, and you're also maybe going to have to give up an unprotected pick. But I don't know how you circumvent not including Jonathan Kaminga if you want serious value in return. And you're not willing to do that. I don't. I don't want to do that just because I. I really like um, Jonathan Kuminga. Siakam makes thirty-seven point eight. I mean, you're you're going to move off of Jonathan uh, Kuminga for guys a free agent at the end of the year. And what what exactly is he going to? What's Siakam going to do for this team? The Warriors' opening night over under number this year was forty-seven and a half wins. Um, I just looked at it yesterday. They're at forty-four and a half. For that's what their over under is right now. Guess how many games they won last year? Forty four games. It was good enough to be what the six seed. They were the six seed at forty four and thirty eight. So what is what is a Wiggins Kuminga deal that gives you Siakam? Where's that going to put them? Is that going to is that going to let them? Are they going to win a title? They going to they coming out of the West with Siakam? I don't. I don't necessarily see that. I don't know that Siakam is the guy that lifts them over the top. I use him as an example. Just that if you're going to get that sort of player, I think somebody mentioned. I heard uh, we got a call Tobias Harris in Philadelphia. If, if you're going, another to, guy makes just a ridiculous it, it, exactly. amount of money. You're going to have to. I, I don't know how any GM does not hang up on you if you don't include Jonathan Kaminga in the conversation. And I know that, look at his upside, the dude is 20 years old. We're talking about Kaminga. So Siakam's got to be one in his late 20s. I want to say 28, 29 years of age. So you've got a window there with Steph for the next three years. If you can sign Siakam. If you, well, th- those conversations, I, I think, would have to take place before he even comes over here. Like, you know, we've got to, uh, as a GM, you've, you've got to be privy to the fact, whether you have these discussions with his, you know, with his agent, that, hey, listen, you know, here are the numbers that we're thinking about. Uh, you know, there's there's got to be some sort of idea of what it's going to take to keep him in the building. Uh, otherwise, it's a huge loss. And and Jonathan Kaminga, again, three, four years from now, is, what, 24, 25 years of age? So I'm with you. There's a high, high level of risk. But as they're, you know, currently, you know, the, the status quo of this team that are currently comprised, are, are you, do you think getting back to the conversation of whether this team can return to prominence as far as, getting to and winning the NBA Finals, uh, if you don't pull the trigger, are you good with this balance of of youngsters and sort of this aging core? Well, the question is not if I'm good with it. The question is what Steph prefer. Yeah. Does Steph want you to you know do everything and anything to get him that one more ring? Or is he content to not win a ring and go out with his guys? And if it, if it came down to you had to have one or the other, wouldn't you like to know what his preference is? I would. I mean, I'd like to know. Would you rather win um, and maybe move off of a Draymond Green or a Clay Thompson and see them somewhere else, or would you rather not win, but go to you know content, you know, be in the playoff mix, have a shot, but go to the finish line uh, to the end with Clay and, and Draymond on your team? I can't imagine that he wants to part from either of those guys. I mean, look how important Draymond Green is to setting up Steph Curry. Yeah. 
Um, he's in some ways he's just like he's he makes Steph Curry a better player. He's Steph Curry's. You know, Gretzky had Marty McSorley. You know, <laughs> I mean, he's in. He's kind of like Steph's Marty McSorley. I mean, he's he Green is is key, and then Clay. I mean, and and those guys. Not only, I mean, there's another. There's a there's a relationship there. So I mean, everybody knows the clout that Steph Curry has. He's one of the greatest players of all time. He makes fifty one million dollars. He's under contract for three more years. That's going to forever change the Steph and Clay relationship. If suddenly Clay gets traded, it's going to change the Steph the Steph Draymond relationship. You would think if Draymond gets gets traded. So it's just my assumption, and maybe I'm wrong. But I think that uh, Steph is going to have to sign off on that. And I don't know that he's going to sign off on moving those two guys. And I don't know that they can make the kind of move that they need to make to become a title contender without doing that. All right, we continue. Let's stay with the Warriors talk and get into where they're at right now with this combination of some of the youth, and especially since Brandon Pajemski, as well as Jonathan Kaminga, have been inserted into the starting lineup. And is that providing a level of hope going forward for this team to make a serious run in the postseason? A reminder, we are presented by Fremont Bank. Full-service banking, no compromises. It's Larry Kruger and Dan Avone in for Willard and Dibbs. We continue after this quick timeout. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, You call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hey everyone, Boomer Esiason here. The NFL Draft is behind us, and your favorite team is now gearing up for week number one. The free Odyssey app puts you right in the middle of the pro football conversation with the biggest sports radio stations from across the country. The local voices who know your team the best, giving you their unfiltered takes on the current state of your squad. It's always football season right here on the free Odyssey app. 